Okay, hi everybody. Um, let's do some introductions. I'm Chris Villarreal. I'm Lelius Rose. I'm Ben Phelps. And we are live on video. Yes, we are. Welcome to Hello. welcome to a live stream of the podcast known as Precious, Precious Snowflakes. Yes. We've been a podcast for um, about a year and a half. And okay, let, let's break it down. This is what it's about. Um, this is about our. <laughs> this is about us in politics. I'm a liberal. These are two libertarians, and we all used to be Democrats, and then shit happened. You used to be a Democrat. Used to. I'm thinking about going back. <laughs> I have to. It's just okay, folks. Shit hit the fan. Let's let's get down to brass tacks. And uh, this is the part. And I'll be directing. Okay, this is the this is me directing the live stream mm-hmm. as I talk. So I'm going to be looking up down at the screen a lot. You are so, the moderator, right? Yes, I am, and this and and the screen's on me now. So let's get down to brass tacks. I think the shit's hit the fan. I think um, we've hit um, a really new low in. Oh fuck it, the Nazis are coming. <sighs> Not the actual Nazis, but people just as bad. So. They're not wearing the uniforms, but you know they're 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 using the old playbook. They found they found they found you know the you know you know on Star Trek they found the the planet of Nazis, the planet of Nazis though, the, and the planet of gangsters. Don't forget the planet of gangsters. And that you know they just left the you know they they thought that all civilization was Chicago in the nineteen twenties or or that stupid casino in Next Generation. But yeah. Um, this may not be anything our audience is familiar with, but I don't know. If you saw Star Trek, you know what we're talking about. Okay. Should we talk momentarily about like how we how we got to here on this couch? How do we get here on this couch? I mean, I could start. My my journey begins chronologically the earliest. Okay, but you only have five minutes. Only oh, actually, no, you have two minutes for this <laughs> okay, one. Yeah. All right. So I was raised in a very devout. Uh, Democratic Party household. I went and did doorbelling for John Kerry, I recall. Uh, I started to drift away during the 2008 election because I I was one of the weirdos in the 2008 election who was a Hillary primary supporter. Uh, wow. Yeah, because my response to then-Senator Obama was he has barely enough uh, experience to fill a cue card and I don't understand what he's trying to propose. Okay. And so. then o- over the course of that validated as hope and change continued to be sort of vague and nebulous. But I voted for him anyway because I was hoping that even though his platform was super vague, that it would include an end to domestic spying an end to the war on terror, uh, better policies on things like immigration and deportation, uh, on the drug war, on LGBTQ rights. And over the course of his first term as president, I realized that that wasn't the case, that my, my hopes were misplaced, because over the course of his first term, he increased... Uh, extrajudicial drone strikes. He ordered a drone strike on a 16-year-old, on a 16-year-old American citizen in Yemen. That drove me crazy. Uh, Spying continued. Cracking down on leakers continued. Uh, The war on drugs continued. And notably, he was still not pro-gay marriage until his second term. Like, he came out for legalizing gay marriage during the race for re-election. Uh, and so it was in 2012 that I discovered Gary Johnson, uh, you know, former Republican governor of New Mexico, but pro-weed, pro-gay marriage, uh, pro-ending the war on terror, uh, and stopping deportations, which was a serious thing. Not a lot of people talk about the fact that Obama deported more illegal immigrants than any other president in history until now. Uh, so I first voted for a libertarian in 2012, and then over the following four years, I became more and more interested, more and more engaged, 
until finally uh, I decided to, to really connect with the local Libertarian Party, and I decided to run for state house. And... Okay, so... Let's hear... Oh. Yeah, that's 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 Ben's story. Um, well, this is where Lyle comes in. Yeah, so yeah, let's yeah, tell, tell us a little bit well, of that. Unlike Earth. most people, I was actually raised in a household with one parent who was a liberal and the other who was a conservative. My my dad actually grew up a Democrat in the South because everyone was a de- almost everyone was a Democrat. My mom uh, grew up in a sort of moderate Republican family in uh, in Cincinnati. And both of them crossed over <laughs> in the in the in the in the early 1960s, around the time JFK first ran for president. And my dad became a Republican, and my mom uh, became a Democrat. So I grew up, you know, with two fairly, you know, moderate points of view. I mean, they they don't see eye to eye on most things, my parents, but when it comes to to politics, but they sort of agree to disagree. And so I I wasn't really ever indoctrinated with one particular political ideology. But like like most young people who are kind of idealistic, I I identified more with the with the liberal cause and I registered as a Democrat when I turned eighteen and I'll pretty much always voted for Democrats for the for the most part. I think I did vote for Arnold Schwarzenegger once when he ran for reelection. But that's fair. But yeah, I mean most of my you know, most of my political engagement was driven by my idealism, you know. I thought that, you know, I just sort of assumed that, yeah, I mean, you know, we sh- everyone, you know, should have health care. You know, we should, you know, try to take care of the, the poor as much as possible. But as, as time has gone on, I've just become more disillusioned with things that the government, you know, tries to do. It seems like a lot of the, the mission of, of a lot of the programs are, you know, they're just not living up to it. You know, and one of Gary Johnson that... Uh, that Ben, uh, you know, just referred to his his uh, famous sayings is that the government is is you know too big and tries to do too much, and the bigger the government is, the bigger the program is, often the less effective it is. And it's not that I I don't think these are noble goals to achieve, but they they just don't seem to be accomplishing what they're supposed to, what they're what they're intended to do, you know, like a limit like like reducing poverty, and you know, I, I, you know, the, as I've as I've matured politically, I've come to realize that a lot of the things that libertarians stand for actually make a lot more sense. It's not that I'm, you know, that I don't want to help people or that I'm less idealistic. I just see the government as being more of just a, a giant bureaucratic boondoggle, an obstacle to progress. Exactly. To help. Exactly. And so I. Yeah, I, I, okay. so. I think we can do better, and I think, you know, we can be more effective at solving our, our social and economic problems than just, you know, creating more and more vast bureaucracies. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think public-private partnerships are just, you know, tr- you know, it, you know, rather than the system we have right now of corporate lobbyists who okay. appeal to the... Three seconds. <laughs> okay, you go ahead. Cut me off. No, I'm sorry. No, go three no, seconds. no, go ahead. Okay, okay. Are you sure? I'm just disillusioned with you know the system we've got right now with crony capitalism and you know you know armies of of corporate lobbyists who who get uh you know the you know, legislatures to basically do their bidding and create laws to protect their their monopolies and it's just a big giant mess. And, yeah. <laughs> okay. So. Oh God. This is the part. This is the part where you talk, Chris. This is the part where I talk, so... Why are you on this couch? Why am I on this couch? <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm a demoholic. Hi, Chris. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I'm a refugee from a Republican household. Everything political that I know or do stems from the fact that... A Republican household is not a very nice place. At least in your family. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's just, I mean, I mean, you know, we, we find out that we're, we find out that we're different from everyone else if we're not Republicans in the Republican household. And, you know, and, and, and things get progressively shittier because uh, you're, 
you're not you're not going along with the cause and you're somehow bad or evil or whatever for it, it and you get and, and, and you slowly get pushed out of the family is that the is that have to do with republicans or is that to do with with your family the, 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 and their dysfunction? no 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 this is the republican worldview. okay this is yeah i don't think that's the, really fair it's like i mean i guess there's been a movement in the past 30 or 40 years where it's been taken over by a, a religious conservatism you know and um, you know, I, I guess a, a misreading of the Bible or something like that. So let me just ask you: Your family is a is mostly a family of of immigrants. You were the first one of in your family born in this country. Why is your is your family who who is a, a a bunch of immigrants from the Philippines? Why are they Republicans? It's been fascinating because. Okay, well, I don't I don't really know where my siblings stand. Okay. Uh, I have a sister who's a Democrat. Okay, but. Why are your parents Republicans? I don't know. It's just like um, long, uh, if, I, I I blame the radio in the car. It only got AM, uh, and um, yeah, and I it, it only got AM. Guess what's on AM? Conservative talk radio. So, um, dad's disillusioned about whatever, and there's uh, several personalities who will tell you why you're disillusioned. It's also fairly consistent for Catholic immigrants to be uh, culturally conservative and to be conservative voters. Mm -hmm. well, so it starts it starts out that way, but then it just like it well, goes off the rails. Well, well, that's a lot of the that's a lot of what explains the success of George W. Bush. You know, he yeah. was able to re, he was able to to relate to a lot of uh, Latino immigrants. Well, and this is why until Donald Trump took over. The Republican Party mm -hmm. in a hostile takeover, they were really pushing uh, at we want to be the party of Hispanic voters, mm -hmm. uh, we want to be the party of Catholic voters yeah. from now until forever. And they had they had the the three most serious Republican candidates for president <laughs> were Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, both of whom are Cuban American right. Catholic, mm -hmm. and Jeb. Jeb who <laughs> married to a Mexican? Who's married to a Mexican woman okay. and speaks Spanish in the home? Yeah, they, can, they can see the demographic trends, <laughs> which way the wind is blowing. You know, guys, let me finish this off. Okay, go ahead. So, Moderate. yeah, so I'm a <laughs> so I'm a refugee, and um, and as a refugee, you like sort of just like throw yourselves into the arms of what you <laughs> the opposite of what you're running from, which is you know you're. You know what? That's not true. I was never really a Democrat. I was I was liberal. Yeah, I still am. I remember you were not a huge fan of Bill Clinton. No, I was really, I really <laughs> wasn't, and I was just like, basically, it was just like, okay, it was like this one side or the much worse side, and I'm like, I'm sticking to the, the less worse side. And I don't know. Fast forward to Obama, and it's just like, oh wait a minute, this is not the worst. This is not the worst. This is like. You know what? This is this is actually like I could get behind this, and you know because I didn't because I I didn't see what you saw Ben. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I just you know, and for every for every single thing that they tried to do to him, you know, just like make him a one term president, like not let him do anything, just like fine, screw you, we're going, we're doubling down. It's just like I got more and more like okay, I'm anti you, so I'm gonna be pro. You know, so us. it became kind of tribal. It did, and the thing is, it got really tribal. Twenty sixteen. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. The the buzzword of the moment is civility. Mm -hmm. What everyone's talking about is should we be civil to each other? And my general feeling about this, uh, as I mentioned before we start recording, is that I feel like this road towards hyper tribalism towards fuck-civility politics, we, we got put on this road by the Republicans. It started with, I mean, I would say it probably started with the Whitewater investigation turning into the Lewinsky investigation. Mm -hmm. It started with Republicans being willing to, to throw out their 
you know, their firmly held beliefs in favor of ad hominem attacks, tribalism, like, let's push and push and push. And yeah, during Obama's first term, all the Republicans cared about was, let's make him a one-term president. They didn't care about ideas. They didn't care about policy. They didn't care about, you know, let's, let's try to work together to accomplish a thing. Uh, it can be argued that this was also partially the fault of Obama for shoving Obamacare through the Senate without any Republican involvement and the Tea Party emerging as a result of that. But that's definitely the kernel of where we are now. And the 2016 election became this hyper-partisan, hyper-tribalist thing. And now, I feel like both, both sides are at fault for pushing us in this direction because as much as the Republicans set us on this path, Democrats have now like taken it up just as fervently. And that drives me crazy. <laughs> Well, I've got news for you. There's not just two sides now. It's just like we're now we're like fractured within those sides. Yeah. And that is going to make it ten times harder to like recover from whatever we need to recover from. We all, on that note, I think it's interesting to note that I think all three of us in this room uh, at our various stages of liberal to libertarian, I think we all donated to Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was like the common. That was like the common thread. Um, it was like we believe. It's like, well, he believed in something. So it's just like, even if he didn't believe exactly what he believed in, it's just like, okay, he's sincere. I'm, I'm go. You know, well, for me, it, it sort of did match. But for other people, it was just like, well, he's sincere about it. So, I just knew Hillary would find a way to lose. I, <laughs> I did a bunch of, I, uh, I did a bunch of soul searching about it. I tried to look at both the Republican and Democratic fields and, and try to figure out, you know, which which candidates appealed to me the most. And I made the decision that at the end of the day, I wanted to donate to one candidate in each of the primaries based on who did I believe was going to, would, if president, push us towards the things that I really cared about. And what I really cared about was NSA spying, the war on terror, uh... So I donated to Bernie Sanders, and I donated to Ted Cruz <laughs> because of of okay, the explain Ted Cruz of the Republican candidates. You know, is like Trump, Cruz, Rubio, Jeb. Although Jeb was kind of out of it already <laughs> by the time I did this. Please clap. Uh, Cruz was the <laughs> only one with a Senate voting record where he voted against the Patriot Act. He voted for amendments to the Patriot Act to pull back spying, to pull back the war on terror, and he voted against the Patriot Act in general, and that really mattered to me. That's a thing that I really care mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think uh, Justin Amash, who is a self-described libertarian Republican member of the House, uh, he went to Young Americans for Liberty National Convention. Mm -hmm. And he was asked who he endorsed, and he said he endorsed Ted Cruz. And his, res and his explanation, because people immediately like laughed and booed and jeered, and his response was, look, Ted Cruz isn't a libertarian, but we can work with him. Like, he, he's close enough on the civil liberties issues that we can work with him. Yeah. But no yeah. one else in the field, all the like, neocons... No one else would be willing to budge on things like domestic spying. Mm. Okay, you got any, uh, let me let me let me say something, and that is, oh jeez, I forgot. Uh, actually, talk for a second. I forgot what I was going to say. Ted Cruz is interesting because to me, like the thing that always jumps out to me first is the social conservatism. You know, yeah. his his positions on things like LGBT rights and abortion and. And those type of issues really just make me go, uh, nope, I don't want to, I don't want any, I don't want any part of that. It's a hard pass. Exactly. So would you call him a believer? Because now I'm going to get, now I'm getting. But he's him. also an incredibly, you know, you know, he, he has an amazing legal mind. You know, the guy is, is, the guy understands constitutional law. And I think he does have a respect for civil liberties. 
it's the social conservatism that you know makes me kind of go. Bleh. Yeah, that's you know <laughs> that's the first thing I go to. Yeah. Well, that was so my my response was like, if I could choose any candidates from any of the parties to run against each other, I felt like a Bernie Sanders versus Ted Cruz presidential race would have been the best possible. Like, mm-hmm. it would it would be a battle of ideas. Both of them hold beliefs. That I firmly disagree with. Well, let me ask you something. I wanted to ask the Lella's question too, but it's just, would you call Ted Cruz a believer, like a true believer in what he's like about, or is he just like playing lip service to it? I mean, I don't know the man personally, so I don't know. I get the impression that he is a true believer on the social conservative stuff and on the civil liberty stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we have a lot of evidence from when he was Advocate General of Texas and arguing lots of cases. He's argued more cases in the Supreme Court than I think anyone else his age. Uh, and he's been very consistent over his you know, relatively young career. Uh, so, I don't know. I mean, there's a part of... You know, I think everyone kind of assumes that he's like a slimy, like just doing whatever it takes to get elected kind of guy. I don't know. Well, the thing is, there's evidence of that. It's just, you know, you know, he's like, you know, he's opposing Trump one one minute, and then he's like, you know, sort of endorsing him later. Well, he got... His journey to... His journey into the arms of Trump is a fascinating one, because I think it's, it's a great descriptor of the whole Republican Party's relationship with Trump. Even at the nominating convention where he got a primetime speaking post, he couldn't do it. He got up there and he said, you know, he gave a big speech about, like, this is what America's fighting for, and this is why I want you all to vote your your conscience. conscience. (laughs) He just couldn't do it. Um, this is not a conscience crowd. I know these people. Uh, And then... And then the election happens, and the people forget that in the final two weeks of the election... When all of this stuff was coming up about Trump being a serial sexual harasser, Paul Ryan backed out. Paul Mm -hmm. Ryan unendorsed him and said he wouldn't participate in the race. All these really prominent Republicans said, I'm out. I can't, in good conscience, support a candidate who has this kind of record. And then he won. He won, and they all kind of looked at each other and were like, I guess this is the Republican Party America wants, and then they all got in line. Yeah, I mean, it was like... And look, they're, they're still all spineless the, jerks. Yeah, in the words of Heath Ledger, what happened? Did your balls fall off or something? Well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird when you hate your nominee and then he wins. I mean, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, like, the, <laughs> I feel like the voting public sent a really clear message that they didn't want Paul Ryan conservatism mm-hmm. or Ted Cruz conservatism. They wanted Trumpianism. Mm-hmm. You know, he won. But do they know what Trumpianism is? I think, they, I think none of us do, mm-hmm. and I think we still don't. Not even sure Trump knows. Oh, he, he knows. He, it's something that that gets good ratings. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, yeah. yeah, that that's as far as we got. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing that we really know that Trump stands for, especially now given his Supreme Court nomination: Ivy League elitism, mm-hmm. which is a hilarious irony because I think a lot of people thought they were voting against Ivy League elitism when they voted for Trump, but like. He had a slew of potential Supreme Court justices. Some were hardline conservatives. Some were moderate. Some were in between. Most of them were not the greatest legal minds of their time. He chose the one person who is allegedly the greatest conservative legal scholar around because he's an intellectual elitist. He, that sort of thing I is prestigious to him, and he cares about it. I wasn't keeping track of his story, actually. I was just like, I'm so burned out. Well, he had, he had four so, potentials. Yeah. And he had a Hardiman, Kethledge, Kavanaugh, and Barrett. Barrett was the wild card because she has almost no experience on the bench. Hardline social conservative. 
uh, but the only woman, and allegedly that was a thing that Trump was actually interested in, despite what you might expect. Uh, Hardiman was the second choice for Gorsuch's seat. Uh, a straight down the middle moderate, except on the Second Amendment, uh, which frankly is some like that's someone I could have gotten behind. Uh, and mm-hmm. the other Kethledge and Kavanaugh, both hardline conservatives, not religious social conservatives like Barrett. The difference between Kethledge and Kavanaugh is that Kethledge wasn't the prestigious choice. He was the safe choice. Mm-hmm. Kavanaugh was simultaneously the much more prestigious, you know, ivory tower choice, and also the most poisonous choice because he worked for Ken Starr. Uh, he worked for Ken Starr uh, during the Clinton administration, and he worked for the Bush administration writing up the legal defense for the Iraq War. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, I'm, uh, yeah, this scares me. <laughs> Allegedly, Mitch McConnell was really anti-Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. Mitch McConnell said... He wanted Hardiman, right? Yeah, he wanted either Hardiman or Kethledge, because either of them had long records, uh, that, like, Hardiman would have been the easiest to pass in the Senate, Kethledge would have been the second easiest, because he's got a long legal record, you know, he's not a mover and shaker, but he's someone who's been working for a while. But McConnell was hard against Barrett because of her social conservatism being a problem. Okay. And and hard against Kavanaugh because McConnell didn't want this to become all about the Bush administration. Yeah, I think I'm having a different point of view on this whole thing, and that is that I mean, it's good that you're it's good that you're looking on the details of the story. I don't know. I just can't get over the part where this is not supposed to be happening. What's not supposed to be happening? Oh, yeah. Oh. I I was not a fan of Merrick Garland. There are many ways in which I actually prefer Neil Gorsuch to Merrick Garland. But in the, the principle... But, the, but yeah, Merrick yeah, the Garland principle should of the be on court right now. Yeah. It, yeah, I, it, okay. You have a president under investigation for... Well, let's face it, everything under the sun, and he's going to be, and, and the next, in this, the next nominee is going to become a justice, and presiding over probably everything under the sun. Well, if, if Mueller decides to go down the, uh, the road of subpoenaing Trump, assuming he, they can't work out a deal for him to, you know, give an interview, then it could end up in this, and if Trump refuses to obey a uh, Mueller's subpoena, then it could presumably end up in the Supreme Court. And although there's a lot of concern that Kavanaugh is on record as saying that he doesn't, uh, you know, think it's a good idea for presidents to have to... Which is, which is a funny... I mean... That's it, a funny thing, because you know why Kavanaugh said that. Well, he's working for Bush. It was his job. Well, no, he, <laughs> he said that after the Lewinsky scandal. Oh, yeah, 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 right. He noted, he, he, he yeah. I mean, he participated, mm-hmm. he participated in an investigation into an eventual, you know, attempted, well, impe- they, they tried an attempted they, impeachment they, they did of a sitting president. And Kavanaugh's response was, you know, in retrospect, we shouldn't have done yeah. that. And it's funny now that that's, I mean, yeah. I it, mean, they impeached Clinton, basically, for lying about a blowjob so his wife wouldn't find out. And we went through a whole impeachment trial. And it did hamstring him a lot. You know, he, 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 he was a lame duck even earlier than he would have been. And it was a giant, you know, it was a, it was a giant circus. Well, to be fair. A political circus. To be fair, while under oath is the wrong time to try to protect your wife's feelings. This is true. No. Uh... But we were all shocked, shocked, and stunned, and deeply saddened to find out that Bill Clinton was getting it on with an intern. <laughs> to find out that Bill Clinton <laughs> was a philanderer. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. This. You know, well, this, this, none of this should be happening. I mean, mm-hmm. we're, in, you know, we're in the upside down. I haven't seen that show. But it is but, happening. So the question is, should we be setting our hair on fire? Um. Somebody else is trying to set our hair on fire. We're trying to put it out. Yeah, I. 
My general feeling about all of the many things going on here vis-a-vis -vis should we be panicking and burning down federal buildings is... They're my federal buildings. I don't want them burned down. <laughs> I, I still feel a sense of ownership about, like... It's just like, okay, this guy is, like, stolen my shit and fucking it up. It's just like, I still don't want... I don't, I don't want to rebel against something that's essentially mine. There is, there is a libertarian argument that I think is, has some merit that... If we are this concerned that a president could ruin all of our lives this severely, <laughs> then the president has too much power. That, that, that thought has we, occurred to me. <laughs> we need, like, clearly what we, rather than just focusing on electing the other guy next time, part of the focus should be on how we prevent this from being possible. You know, we're, we we're, we're earnestly afraid that Trump is going to start Gestapoing people, which arguably he has. Oh yeah, it's, it's all it's all my Donkey Kong. It's happening now. Uh, then we need to consider not just getting someone else in power, but also how do we prevent this from happening again? Yeah, we should leave ourselves like a time capsule of oh yeah, this is what this is everything that happened and how we got there. And when you win, if you win, if there if you even have an election and you win. Remember how you got here and get, well, this, go down this list of all the things to do so it doesn't happen again. This is one of the things that like makes me a libertarian is that I fundamentally believe that the Libertarian Party is the only party that is firmly devoted to if we get into power, we will immediately start reducing that power so that no one can fuck with things to the extent that people are currently doing. Like a, there's a degree to which I feel like Trump is sort of a sort of a gift because his brazenness, his uh, his willingness to just say and do whatever the fuck he wants and like use the powers available to him to do whatever he wants is just a great illustration of like the last few presidents have all had this power. Some of them have used it, some of them have not, but they've all maintained it or expanded it. And, you know, eight years of President Obama, we did a lot of taking children away from their parents at the border. We did a lot of deporting people in mass, throwing people in cages. But he was so much more charming. Yeah, he wasn't as nasty about he it. He was so much more eloquent in his defense mm -hmm. of these policies that people let him do it. Now we have someone who's basically willing to, who's willing to just come out and say, like, you know, fuck these people. They deserve, they deserve all of this. And now we're angry. Now we're upset. Like, <laughs> I was angry and upset when Obama was doing it. He just made it sound better. It was... I was so concerned with, you know... How do we prevent the other side from, you know, just reversing everything we've, like, done to, like, you know, progress ourselves? That, um, it was, it, it, I don't know, it just, you know, 2016 just sort of threw me for a loop. I think, you know, I was, like, I, it was, I was sort of entrenched in, you know, the status quo and, like, how to keep it. And, okay, and now, and now, things yeah. are tolerable. Let's not make them untolerable. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, and now we're <laughs> now it's a swift spiritual kick to the head. So guys, we're kind of. I mean, I mean, we're all we're we're all sort of like now. What do we do? Well, as someone who I noticed one thing. As when I started self-identifying as a libertarian, the biggest, one of the most noticeable things is that it's sort of like everyone, you know, it's like the conservatives all think you're like, like a libtard, and then and all the liberals think you're some sort of like Trump-loving conservative. Yeah. Everybody has a hard time like, like like not wanting to put you either into one box or the other, and I, and it's like okay, I'm not. Am I a liberal? Am I a conservative? It's like. Well, no, not really. I'm neither. I'm a libertarian. I, and what, what, what is that? There's a lot of horrible people, unfortunately, 
that that do self-identify as libertarians. I know. That's why I can't. <laughs> that's why I haven't jumped into the. That's why I'm not like, oh, this is a podcast about no. three libertarians. It's not about that for us right now because it's mm-hmm. just like I want to, you know, I I want a party where like, you know, it's it's we're you know we're 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 not you know. I have a drinking problem apparently. Uh, <laughs> I I keep seeing people posting these one-dimension uh, political things. I'm probably guilty of it's that. like left on one side, right on the other. It's only one dimension, not two. With us or and versus against and, us. And it's all... <laughs> and I always see that like on the right-wing half, you get conservative... Then libertarian, then Nazi. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and there's this belief, there's this like weird belief that libertarianism is the halfway point between being a mainstream conservative and being a Nazi, and that's that's how it feels well, if you only interact with libertarians on the internet. I can totally I, see that. Well, that's. Uh, um, guys, or I want to thank you for, like, inviting me to the state convention, and I had a fun time, but really? it's just, <laughs> I'm sorry, it was just, like, there's a faction over there that's, like, I can't get with this, it's just, like, it's a little, I mean, there might, they might not be, like, the majority, but the thing is, they're loud. Yeah, well, I think I was, uh, I was saying before the record... I think there, there are generally speaking two flavors of libertarian right now who make up the biggest bulk, and those are the 2008 Ron Paul libertarians, mm-hmm. who were right wingers who decided they were against the war, and Ron Paul coaxed them over to libertarianism, and then there are the 2012 and 2016 libertarians who were coaxed over by Gary Johnson's campaigns. And, you know, I'm very much in the latter category. I come from the left. Gary Johnson presented as this, like, very touch-and-feely, warm-and-fuzzy libertarianism Mm -hmm. where, like, everyone helps each other. Yes. But the the Ron Paul libertarians can get a little, uh... Oh, yeah. Cultural Marxism! (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) No, seriously, it's just like, I listened to a speech... At the state convention, and it's just like, it's it's in surround sound. It's like there's the speech, and then there's the back, you know, there's the back surround channel, which is entirely made up of, hey, that's socialist. Well, right. So we, uh, one of the most interesting moments, I would say, at the state convention was when Matt Dubin, uh, plug Matt Dubin, uh, there is no then. Uh, Who is he? Matt Dubin is a trial lawyer who's running for state rep in Queen Anne, basically. Mm-hmm. He gave a big speech, you know, as a candidate to the state convention where he talked about the things he cares about the most, like homelessness. And he talked about nonprofits that are building tiny houses and putting them on people's lawns. 75% of Seattle is zoned for single family homes which is ludicrous compared to other major cities or anywhere. Uh, so a handful of organizations are trying to ha- are trying to aid with dealing with our, our massive homelessness crisis by building tiny homes on these single-family-owned properties. And it's a whole, like, the community gets behind it. Everyone has to be approved of. It's a whole process. But Matt Dubin's point was, if we take the hundreds of millions of dollars the state, the county, and the city say they have spent on homelessness, which have only made problems worse, we take those hundreds of millions of dollars and we give them to the organizations that are actually building housing, we can handle the crisis immediately. Which is a very, you know, to me, like that's sort of like the best of libertarianism. Like, let's take a problem and deal with it in a no idea is a bad idea kind of way. Yeah, I'm like, I'm down. I'm down for anything that doesn't suck. Yeah, and then people in the back of the room yelled, socialist, (laughs) because that's giving money to help the homeless. It's it's like, you don't... uh, (laughs) Yeah, I... uh, 
I don't even know what to say right now. You're you're right to have icky feelings about that. Like that's it's just like you blow you blow like that much money. It's just like you want to see something for it. That's just that's that's never mind if it's socialist or not. It's just like that's just that's just economics. One of the one of the things that that I often go to as examples of like what would I do if I had a magic wand and could change things is uh, the single most cost-effective, efficient, economically productive government welfare program that exists is SNAP, the current iteration of the food stamp program. And every time Republicans and Democrats have to work together on an issue, mm-hmm. they, and part of their compromise inevitably is cutting SNAP. Uh, there's actually a phone conversation that is now public record where Obama is talking to Mitch McConnell about some piece of legislation. Oh. And he says to him, you can have SNAP, but you have to give me this. Oh, no, we're good. We're back. Uh, and it's nuts. Like, SNAP is always on the chopping block. That's always a compromised position is cut SNAP. And sort of a, an orthodox libertarian position would be, well, of course, cut SNAP. It's a welfare program. It's a welfare state, yeah. And, and my response is like, no, no, no. Let's cut the other things and make everything else more like SNAP. Like, SNAP is good because it gives people money that they can use in the moment. It provides greater freedom to the recipient, and it inevitably leads to a better economy in their neighborhood. Yeah, but it goes against, you know, some ideology where it's just like, you know, you have to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. It's like they won't see the forest through the trees. It's not like... It, to them, it's just it's the it's the government, you know, doing handouts, right. giving money. But the, it's like look at you know if we're just looking at liberty and freedom, what's the what's the effect that it's having? Yes, I know taxation is theft and all that, but it you know taxes are not just going to go away tomorrow. <laughs> how are we going to how things that the government is, is doing? Yeah, in the, in, the, in, the, in the most effective way. I guess that's the difference between a pragmatic libertarian and a radical anarchist. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying let's increase the size of government by 50% yeah. to throw all of that into SNAP. I'm saying, no, let's cut government, let's cut taxes, let's pull back a lot of mm-hmm. stuff. But while we're pulling back, it's not unreasonable to put more money into SNAP, a program that works. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, have that be the last thing that is cut. Yeah, that's actually, that's one of those things that... Uh, Something about uh, shells. Yeah, that's, that's, like, that's one of the things that Michelle Darnell keeps talking about is, instead of saying, ah, it's all welfare, get rid of it. Yeah. Like, let's have priorities here. Uh, the highest priority should be getting rid of the government programs, policies, etc., that actively hurt people, okay. like the war on drugs. Mm-hmm. And then... As opposed to the things that... Feed people. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like... Speaking of feeding people, can we wrap this up in about seven and a half minutes? Yeah, sure. Okay. So, because, yeah, there's dinner afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all going to be paid for by the private sector. Don't worry, anybody. We won't be dining on Whatever. It's just, like... I, the, well, my main concern is just, like, to minimize human suffering. I lead with my heart. My head will figure out the details. That's where I'm coming from. Okay. I've... Yeah, I've always been one of. Uh, this is gonna get libertarian neckbeards screaming in their PC gaming chairs. But one of the things that I really like about Weld <laughs> is is the. I'm sorry. I've had this nasty cough for like a month. Sorry, but uh, go ahead. I like that Bill Weld immediately gets into the details. Like, when we went to that lunch, mm-hmm. it was a very, like, wonky kind of talk. Because he's very much a policy wonk. He, he's very much about the details. I, I can't lead with my heart. I always go straight to the details. Oh, well, I'm not ignoring. I'm, I'm not saying, ignoring the details. I'm, the details are important. It's just what, def, you know, what informs that it's just you know without I'm without the... you are. I'm not saying you are. I'm just I'm just saying that there's there's an inclination 
what, one of the things that made me a libertarian instead of a Democrat is that I'd say that there's this general sort of cultural thing of Democrats saying, well, the intent of this thing is to help people. Therefore, if you're against it, you're against helping people. And my response is, well, no, no, no. I want to I know what the details are. I want to I know if it works. We need both. Like, I want, I want studies. I want details. Yeah. I want to see that it's efficient. And if it's not working, if it's not efficient, if it's not cost-effective, then we shouldn't do it. Well, yeah, because then, you know, the end goal of... The end goal doesn't get met, so what's the point? Well, but this is, like, this is homelessness in Seattle in a nutshell. Like, Seattle has an all-left-of-center city council, ranging from mainstream Democrat to let's-burn-everything-to-ground-socialist. And every, every time they try to, like, address homelessness, they propose things that don't work, and then they say, well, if you're against this, you must be against helping people. Yeah, I'm, that doesn't fly with me. I'm sorry. It's just like, I mean, if you don't figure out how this is going to work or if this is going to work, then all you, you know, then leading with your heart is like sort of pointless. Well, that was, and to, to loop it back to the very beginning, that's, that's what made me uncomfortable with then-Senator Obama in 2008. His whole platform was hope and change, and my response was, "Well, what does that mean? What what does it mean when you know when the wheels hit the road or whatever? Like, like what are the policies that are going to come out of this?" And I had actual people, like real people, say to me, "Are you against hope and change?" I was like, "What? Like, no. no. Obviously, I'm for hope and change." Because we should have more hope in our future, and change is good. Yeah, I'm, but like, I'm generally, just... I'm I'm generally against um, dragons <laughs> burning down my village. Yeah, it's just like, why are you asking me if I'm for dragons burning down my village? Like, no, I'm for I'm for nihilism and stagnation. <laughs> uh, some people are. <laughs> some people are. Uh, Definitely the nihilism part. Because there is a very nihilistic branch of the libertarian. There is a very nihilistic branch of libertarians. They're just the not. It's like I don't care what you do. That ain't my problem. Don't and I don't take my money to to do it. Yeah, three minutes, folks. I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> How do you want to wrap this up? But then there's you know the liberals who who say you know well if you're against this you're against helping people. Hey, not all of us. Yeah, exactly. But I'm just saying those are the two like. That's what I get mostly on my Facebook. Yeah, well, this is the... <laughs> Hashtag not all liberals. I'm sorry. Exactly. This is the place where those of us who feel, you know, generally disenfranchised, like, the us versus themness has been really present, I would say, in particular since 2008. Uh, it's sort of like we got pushed to that point, and it's just like, oh, we're, I, we got to dig in our heels, because... Well, it's think, just, it, I mean, I don't know, we, everybody, uh, from both sides, it's just like, each is saying that the other side is just like, well, you brought us to this point. I will say, for the record, I do think that President Obama was a better president than President Trump. And I don't think that that's a hard choice to make. Nope. Uh, but I do, yeah, they say that every new president is sort of an equal and opposite response to the previous one. And there's a there's a big degree to which I think that we can thanks Obama for putting us into the Trump years. Well, uh, he, he did make fun of him at the correspondence dinner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and there was a I think there was a real blindness, a real selective blindness of like Obama's great, he can do no wrong, and that that degree of selective blindness led us to Republicans saying. Well, okay, we're going to be equally blind to the problems of our candidates. And here's this guy with a tremendous amount of problems. We're just going to ignore it. Well, and uh, I think... well, I would have liked to have seen... Sorry about that. Let me just say one thing. I would have liked to have seen that what happens if you actually just let Obama do something. I would have wanted to see what would ha- what would have happened if it well, wasn't... We, just a... yeah. we, had, we had two years. We had two years where the Democrats had full control. And well, the results... Yeah. 
was the world's most half-assed healthcare bill. Uh, like, shoved through Congress with no participation from Republicans. And yet, you know, like, I, I have said in other contexts, uh, of all the big figures in the Democratic Party, I kind of hate Nancy Pelosi the least. I actually kind of like her. And I know that that's a wildly unpopular opinion mm. among anyone who doesn't consider themselves a diehard Democrat. But part of why I say that is because her response to full Democratic Party control was, let's make single-payer happen. Like, we're the party of let's go with a single-payer option. So let's do it. Let's do it now. We have the votes. Let's make it happen. And Obama's response was no. Uh, Evil. I, I don't necessarily think that a yeah, single he caved. Pair, he totally caved. I don't necessarily think that a single payer healthcare system is the best possible option. You know, I generally speaking would prefer a more libertarian option, uh, where people have greater freedom and maybe the insurance companies can go get fucked. But yeah, I like that last part. That last part is <laughs> crucial to the plan. Uh, but that that's part of the thing is like. Pelosi really wanted to go all in on single payer because Democrats had full control. Let's be a party that is about something. And Obama's response was like, nah, middle of the road only. Like, let's do something that drastically enriches the insurance companies and doesn't actually help people. Mm. Still, there's a lot of other shit that was just like, well, what would have happened if, you know, everybody else was just not saying no to this. Yeah, right. It's a two... It's a two-dick system. Both parties are dicks. Well. Okay, so... I'm a liberal, and these are two libertarians, and we're friends, so... We might be able to come up with some ideas. We could be civil. Hopefully no one's gonna throw us out of our restaurant. Um... Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> um, actually, we're running out of time, so basically, what are we going to do about this? I guess you'll just have to tune in next week to find out what we think about whatever problem is coming up next week. So, um, yeah, this was pretty successful, actually. So here's what's going to happen. Google Matt Dubin. He's really cool. There is no them dot us. Dot us? They got dot us? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, well, um, yeah, let's just wrap it up. Um, you've been watching the podcast Precious Snowflakes? Oh, wait, no, wait, no, 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 no. We're supposed to end with that. We're supposed to end with that title. Oh, this is, yeah, th- this is the end, folks. I'm Chris Villarreal. I'm Lelius Rose. I'm Ben Phelps. And, and we, we are, are Precious, Precious Snowflakes. Snowflakes. Thanks for listening and watching t- to our first live stream. Thanks and listener viewers. Our viewer? I don't know, whatever. Well, anyway, yeah, that, that was the sign-off, so I'm just going to hit the button now. Good night. Peace.